There has been so much going on in our world. It's like it's on fire. COVID-19 laid down the groundwork, making the conditions for an ideal, perfect storm. And that was, and, and all that was needed was something to ignite it and, 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 and ignite it into a flame. The death of George Floyd on May 25th of this year in Minneapolis, Minnesota was all it took. And before long, protests turned into riots and riots turned into acts of violence and acts of violence turned into chaos. Tensions that were building beneath the surface erupted in full force. And ultimatums have been thrown out there that if you, that you have to pick a side and that if you're silent on the subject, that silence indicates what side you're on. Now, I must admit, I have been silent. And does that make me a racist? But maybe my silence is really because I'm, I'm speechless. I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. And, and it could be that maybe I'm, I'm fear, fearful of, of saying too little or, or fearful of saying too much. Fear of saying the wrong thing, even though it sounded right in my head. But one thing that has kept, been, kept on ringing and resounding in my head has been this the whole time, is that we do have a problem. I do acknowledge that there is a problem. And this problem goes way, mu- way deeper than the pigment of my skin or our skin, our ethnicity, uh, and beyond our sexuality. You see, the problem is sin. And sin has been around for a long, long time. Sin has been the root cause of all pain, all suffering, all injustice, all mistreatment, and all that is wrong, really, with our world. Here's what the Bible says about sin in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So who exactly has sinned? Well, in Romans 3, 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, it's all, not some, not just a few, not just you and not just me, all have sinned. I looked up the word all in the original language it was written in, and guess what I found? It means all. So what does it mean? What does that mean for all of us? Sin comes with a price. A sacrifice is required. A payment needs to be made. And the payment is death. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how do we earn this freedom from the penalty of sin? Well, we have to go back to Romans 6.23 and it says, But the gift of God is eternal life in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. He offers it to us. Every one of us, all of us, we cannot earn it on our own. We can only receive it. Why did God do this? Well, the answer is found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He loved the world. God so loved the world and He did something about it. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. God did it all for love. He knew that there was nothing we could ever do to be enough. So he stepped in and he did it for us, all because of love. Sin causes us to do bad things. 
evil things, things that not only cause harm to us, but also to those around us. Poor judgment can bring about huge consequences. And we're seeing this firsthand all around us in our world today. Sin causes us to be self-centered instead of Christ-centered. But if we were Christ-centered, we would be able to love others as we love ourselves. And so God chooses to uh, love to be His motivation to providing a solution to our sin problem. And He too wants us to love as well. So let's find ways to express our love to those around us, those that are different from us, that come from different backgrounds, that maybe have different skin or different ethnicity. Let us express our love to all humanity that is around us. Now I want to shift gears a little bit this morning. And I want to really get to what I want to really talk to you about. And, and today I want to talk to you about asking the right question. Asking the right question. You see, asking the wrong question can lead you down a path from where you should be to where you shouldn't be, right? And lead you far away to where you, where you, from where you should be. But asking the right questions can help navigate us around unnecessary obstacles and keep us on the right track. Asking the wrong questions can lead us into trouble. Asking the right questions can steer us away from trouble. Right now, I want to steer your attention to Luke chapter 10. And before we read it, I want to give you some context uh, about the, the book of Luke. You see, the author, Luke, is believed to be a Gentile, not a Jew, which would make Luke the only non-Jewish writer of the Bible. Now, that's pretty extraordinary. And Luke was an educated man. He was a doctor, and Luke wrote the book of Luke, or the gospel according to Luke, he was writing this book as if he was writing with a specific purpose to a specific audience. He wrote to groups of people who were most likely deemed as outcasts. As outcasts. If you were to look closely and analyze the book of Luke, you would see stories that are in it that are not found in the other gospels. The other Gospels being the book of Matthew, Mark, and John. And, and such stories that I'm referring to are like the ten lepers that are found in Luke 17. Or the story about the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15. Or the prostitute that is told, uh, talked about in Luke chapter 7. And then the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, found in Luke chapter 19. All of these stories written for a specific purpose of highlighting Jesus' love for all people, including the outcasts, people who have made a mess of their lives by making poor decisions. So let's take a closer look at what's written in Luke chapter uh, 10, verses 25 to 37. Let's take a look at it together. And it says here in verse 25, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. So right away, we see some motivation here. We see a bit of an agenda behind uh, this, this expert of the law. You see, he's heard that Jesus is a master teacher, so he decides to put Jesus to the test, almost kind of like test driving a car, right? And, and so he's given Jesus a bit of a test drive here. And, and this is what he asks. He says, 
Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As if to ask, what's the one thing? What's the one thing I've got to do in order to make it to heaven? This expert of the law was not interested in a relationship with the Savior. He was just looking for a get out of hell free card, right? And, and he was looking for a, an eternal life insurance uh, that would save him from hell. Well, in verse 26, it says, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And I, I love how Jesus kind of turns it around, right? He turns the tables back on this expert of the law as if to say, hey, <laughs> you're the expert. You, you tell me. I can only imagine kind of maybe the sarcastic tone in Jesus' voice at that time. And so the, the expert of the law, the man answered back. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus answers him back. He says, right, that's it. Do this and you will live. It's kind of like saying, hey, you've got to figure it out. Why do you need to ask me this question? You know, do what the law says and you will be fine. But the expert of the law doesn't leave it there. He, he's got He's on a full court press on Jesus here. And so he presses Jesus further by asking in verse 29. He says, the man wanted to justify his actions, right? He wanted to justify his questions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? As if to say, Jesus, I need to know who my neighbors are. But more importantly, I need to know who my neighbors are not. Who I need to give special attention to, who to love, and who to ignore. Jesus, who are my neighbors? And Jesus then replies, and Jesus does this in such Jesus style, he tells them a story. He tells them a story. Have you ever been with somebody that has asked you a question, or maybe you've been the one asking a question, and it's usually an older person, maybe it's a mentor in your life, and instead of answering your question, they tell you a story, maybe a personal story or whatever. But Jesus does that here. He tells this man a story. And this is what Jesus said. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, this road that we're talking about was notorious for being unsafe. Criminals hung out, and, and, and travelers were easy prey on this particular road. He goes on to say, By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And passed him by. The priest acknowledges that the man is there, lying on the side of the road, and he crosses to the other side. I mean, can you imagine this man? He's lying there, half dead, thinking, oh great, a priest, he'll help me out. But the priest kind of sees him there and is like, mm, sorry. Almost as if to communicate, it's like, I see you and I understand that you're dying and all, but I really can't get involved. And, and this is why, right? If a priest touches uh, this man, 
and, and helps this man or tries to help this man and this man dies or if he's already dead, well, under the Mosaic law, right, the priest would be declared unclean and he would have to go back to Jerusalem to, to, to cleanse himself. And, and so here he is, he, he's like, mm, I don't have the time to do that. But listen, he's also ob obligated by the law to help someone in need. So here he is, he's got to make a decision. And so in this particular instance, he decides to protect his purity and protect his self-righteousness and protects, uh, protect, uh, make sure that he is remaining clean instead of helping this man out and risk being declared unclean. In his mind, stopping and helping this man was going to cost him too much. Ouch, right? Ouch. Let's read on. In verse 32, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. The temple assistant, uh, in other translations, they call him a Levite, right? And he was a holy man that observed the law of Moses as well. And he too ran the risk of being declared unclean if the man on the side of the road was indeed dead or would have died in his care. So he too, in this moment, chose to walk on past. These two men, men of the cloth, who we would expect to stop and help, wouldn't inconvenience themselves. Helping this man would be messy. So instead of getting messy, risking tarnishing their spotless image, they chose to move along and ignore the man in need. Sometimes we, can, we too can get too busy working for God that we forget what God's work is really all, all about. It's about helping people. It's about people. Now enter the next traveler down this stretch of road in verse 33. And this would have been surprising for the expert of the law to hear this. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He felt compassion for him. So this is where the story pivots. It takes a different turn. For the sake of time this morning, I won't get into the whole background of the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, but let me just say this. They really didn't like each other. Samaritans were treated as inferior to Jews at the time. And Jesus takes the opportunity to address the racial hostility that's happening in between these two groups, to, between these two people, right? And, and he turns the hero or the zero of society and turns them into a hero. And that's what's really neat about God. You see, God actually does that for real, in reality, not in just stories, right? And, and, and all throughout history, God uses what society considers an outcast or, or, or something useless or uh, of no use, and, and he turns them around into being leaders and people of influence to do incredible and extraordinary things. Very quickly, I want to point out just three things that we can learn from this Samaritan on how to be a good neighbor. The first thing I want to point out is, and how to be a good neighbor, is to be a perceptive neighbor. When he saw the man, the Samaritan saw the need, and what did he do? He filled it. He filled the need. 
He didn't wait to be asked. He didn't need any prompting from the man on the side of the road. He didn't wait for the man to say, hey, help, could you help me? No, he saw the man and he stopped on his own accord. And he was able to look and see and identify what the man's needs were even before the man asked for help. It feels good when people in our life are so locked into us, so engaged with us, that they perceive our need and fill it even before we ask. I wonder if there's someone listening today wishing they had someone like that in their life. Wishing they had somebody like that in their life. What would it look like if you or I became so in tune with people, perceiving their need and doing something about it without even being asked? What would it look like if you and I could see beyond ourselves our situations and become more aware of people's needs that are around us. Number two, be a compassionate neighbor. You see in the text it says he felt compassion for him. The Samaritan empathized with the man lying on the side of the road. He felt this man's need. He felt this man's pain and suffering. And walking past the man on the other side of the road, like the other two men did, was not even an option for the Samaritan. It didn't matter that this man on the side of the road, that his heritage was actually different from the Samaritans, right? We're understanding and we're assuming that this man who's traveling from Jerusalem is actually a Jew. And the Samaritan in this story doesn't care. He doesn't care what nationality, what race, what uh, uh, ethnicity he is. All he does here is he puts himself in that man's shoes. He's like, how would I want to be treated in this situation? Kind of like treating others or doing unto others how we want them to treat or do unto us. Loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Sometimes... There's things that hinder us from being a compassionate neighbor. This, and, and we're going to call these compassion blockers. So compassion blocker number one is blaming someone for their situation. If you wouldn't have done that, then you wouldn't be in the mess that you are right now. And this can become a blocker in us uh, for showing compassion. Compassion blocker number two. We're so disconnected or detached from others that we really don't understand what they're going through. We can't comprehend what it's like to actually be them. And compassion blocker number three, sometimes we can be blinded by our own prejudice that it hinders us from meeting the needs of those around us. The final thing that we learn from the Samaritan in the story of how to be a good neighbor is be a selfless neighbor. Be a selfless neighbor. Let's take a look at what it says here in verse 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. He was willing to be inconvenienced, unlike the priest and the temple assistant. I'm pretty sure he had other plans that day. And I'm sure he didn't plan on spending it taking care of a stranger who was half dead on the side of the road. Yet he was willing to alter his plans in order to help this man. He laid aside his plans because this was more important. Not only did he inconvenience himself, 
but he was willing to take the time to invest into caring for this man. He didn't just take him to the hospital and drop him off at emergency and say, oh, hope you get better. No, he takes the time to attend to his wounds and personally care for him. Sometimes what hinders us from being a good neighbor is we simply don't want to invest the time. It's an inconvenience. And we do this kind of cost analysis in our minds and we conclude that the cost is really just too high. This Samaritan doesn't just invest his time, but he also invests his resources. Check this out in verse 35. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Uh, in other translations, they call them these denarii, right? Telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm there. Now, let me just give you an idea. These two silver coins or two denarii, right, was worth about two full days of wages for a laborer. Two full day, uh, days of wages. When was the last time you gave up two days of wages to help somebody in need? You see, he goes way beyond uh, making sure that this man is, uh, he goes above and beyond to making sure that this man is completely cared for. He, he sees it through to the end. Now think about this for just a moment. This Samaritan does all of this, stopping to attend to his wounds and transporting him. Meanwhile, think about this. There's danger. There's danger lurking all around. And it could be around the corner. And it could be his turn to be the dead guy lying on the side of the road. You see, who's to say that the assailants who beat up this one man aren't hiding out looking out for another person to, to take advantage of? And here the Samaritan is bogged down with extra baggage hauling this wounded man to safety. He selflessly puts himself at risk. But that doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter. He's willing to do whatever it takes to care for this complete stranger. And so there's a challenge here for all of us. Instead of asking, what will happen to me if I stay and help, we should be asking ourselves, what will happen to this man if I don't help, if I don't intervene? Now story time is over, right? We get to the end of our story, right? We see what this Samaritan does. We see what these, the, the priest and the Levite did, which was nothing. And we see what the, uh, the Samaritan did, which was everything, right? Story time is over. And then Jesus, in verse 36, asks the expert of the law this question. He says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? See, Jesus completely flips the script. He turns it around. Because the expert of the law was asking the wrong question. Who is my neighbor? He wanted to know who he should be kind to and who not to. Who he should be generous to and who not to. Who to love and who not to love. Who to invest time into and who not to waste time on. But Jesus wants him to change his thinking. Instead of asking, who is my neighbor? He should be asking, how can I be a good neighbor to those around me? How can I be a neighbor to those around me? It matters to ask the right question. The answer to Jesus' question is found in verse 37. And this is how the man replied, The one who showed him mercy, 
Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Imagine with me for a moment what would happen if you and I, right, you and I and others all around us could grasp this and then live it out. How would it affect our marriages and, and our home life? How would it affect our neighborhoods and our communities? How would it affect our workplace and, our, and the places that we shop at? Uh, how would it affect our schools? How would it affect uh, you know, our church? How would it affect the racial tension that we're experiencing in our world today? Instead of asking, who is my neighbor? We should be asking, how can I be a good neighbor? A good neighbor. Mulaney and I recently sat down and watched the movie, Mr. Rogers, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I want to just tell you, that was a remarkable movie. A story of how kindness and friendship can bring about healing and restoration. The theme song goes something like this. Maybe for those that are my age and, and, and up, you, you'll remember this. But it, it goes like this. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be mine, my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? And here's what I found. I found this really interesting about Fred Rogers, is that he knew deep down inside that in order to have a neighbor, you first needed to be a neighbor. And I believe where we can get stuck so many times is we expect others to be neighborly first to us when we are, when maybe that it's just maybe that it's us that in order to gain an, a, a good neighbor, we must be a good neighbor first. And maybe, just maybe, a good neighbor will help ease the racial tension right now in our world. And maybe, just maybe, being a good neighbor would help mend the fences between those who are on the left and, and those that are on the right politically. Maybe, just maybe, being a good neighbor would turn more people to Jesus instead of pushing them away from Jesus. I believe it's imperative for us to ask the right question. Instead of, who is my neighbor? We should be asking, how can I be a good neighbor? How can I be a good neighbor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today. I thank you that this message has the capacity to change us. And so, Father, as we heard the story in the New Testament, as Luke talked about, or as, as Luke recorded Jesus telling the story, Lord, let us not be like the priest. Let us not be like the temple assistant, the, the, the Levite. Let us be like the Good Samaritan. And Lord, especially as us as followers of Jesus, Lord, as we are priests, 
as we are temple assistants and we are followers of Jesus, let our actions be like that of the Samaritan. Lord, let's stop asking the question of who is my neighbor and let's start asking the question is, is this, is how can I be a good neighbor? So challenge us today. Challenge us. So God, we give this to you. And I thank you for all of those who are watching online today. Be with them and take care of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.